My name is Noel Sweeney. I'm the Master Distiller at PowerScore Distillery, and we're listening to Pot Still Radio. This episode is brought to you by our sponsors, the Irish Whiskey Magazine, the only magazine in the world dedicated to sharing the exciting news, lifestyle, and spirit of Irish whiskey. You can find out more at irishwhiskeymagazine.com. And the Tour Glass, a contemporary nosing and tasting glass, a symbol to unify Irish whiskey drinkers across the world. And you can find out more about this beautiful glass at tourglass.ie. Dave Glare, Fulgigli on Show A Postal Radio, Ismisha Maiho Haley, August New Tommy and Show in Driglon. Paris Court, Lena Drigador, Noel Sweeney. Welcome to Potsdill Radio. As always, my name is Matt Healy. Today, I am delighted to be sitting here in Paris Court Distillery with Master Distiller Noel Sweeney. No, thank you very much for sitting down with us today. Thank you. Um, I suppose for the people out there that don't know much about the area of Paris Court or where we're in, in County Wicklow, do you want to give me a little brief overview of I suppose, the grounds we're sitting in before we talk about the distillery? Well, Powers Court Estate is where we're, uh, the distillery is located and it has uh, been awarded the third best privately owned gardens in the world by National Geographic. So the estate uh, is, is renowned for those gardens and they really are spectacular. Also on the estate, uh, which is just south of uh, Dublin and County Wicklow, we have two championship golf courses and we have a four-star uh, autograph hotel and uh and then you have a beautiful garden center and then uh Volca in the grounds there's other businesses also in 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 the area and uh, the distillery is the latest addition to that what a great way to top off such an iconic gardens uh, in ireland i did like as i came through the gates this morning seeing the number three gardens in the world uh it's a it's both precisely accurate but also such a great accolade as well absolutely and and we get something like five hundred thousand visitors per year to the estate and of course the power Court waterfall is also another iconic it's been uh, it is the largest uh, waterfall in ireland at 397 97 feet so it's a it's quite quite a feature of the estate as well at five hundred thousand people it must be one of the largest visitor attractions in the country I believe it is uh, very close to it. I think uh, we're probably only outstood by somewhere like uh, Guinness uh, uh, Storehouse. And, um, uh, you know, but yes, we would be one of the biggest. And it's funny that uh, I think something like uh, 40% of those visitors are coming now from China. Wow, that is a crazy, (laughs) huge turnaround. I suppose now helpful that we have uh, direct flights on the Dreamliners to China. So uh, (laughs) absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Should run shuttle buses from the airport. We go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that the coach uh, tours do very well, and also uh, the fact that we have the cruise liners coming into uh, Dublin uh, in recent years as well, because they are always looking for somewhere to visit and somewhere to go that's not. Uh, a hundred mile away from the port so if they pull into Dublin it's only 20 minutes from Dublin port out to here depending on the traffic I might add (laughs) well I suppose iconic grounds um, to be honest coming in here what a building Like this has just absolutely blown me away Uh, do you want to tell the people listening kind of what what kind of building we're sitting in here well, originally there was a, a mill house built here, uh, dates back to the 1700s, and it was used uh, for various things, including milling flour, but also a sawmill. And it was powered from about 1902, I think, with a uh, water wheel, which is actually still, well, it's not a water wheel, a water turbine, which is in the foundations of the building. And that's still visible here today and we've put a glass roof on that and you can walk across and look down to see the original uh, water turbine and that was uh, as I said powered by water from the reservoir which is uh, uh, on the estate the same reservoir powers the uh, famous waterfall uh, not waterfall but the the, um, uh, water fountains and also they use the water to uh, 
uh, water the golf courses here. Um, the water we're using for the distilling is from a well underneath the estate because uh, Power Squirt, if, if you ever have a look at it, it's kind of uh, built on an aquifer where all the water is drained through the soil and down into the ground and there's massive resources of water there. It's good to have such natural <laughs> abundance of water beneath any distillery, but yes, a, a great essential, to be I would say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm sure it certainly helps with the water bills anyway. Yeah. Um, and you're saying that that uh, water turbine, as you come through the front doors, you've built that glass floor above it. It's actually quite a sight to see. Even as you look down, there's a, you know the old gate and a, a ladder as well built. Yeah. So still, still we, we practically it's uh, almost untouched. Uh, because uh, it is rather brittle as well and, and, and has has been there for donkey's years. It is nice as you see it, though. It literally looks like you've you know unearthed a tomb. Uh, it does, it's, just not, it's not gleaming and shining. It, it has a feel of a 17th or 1700s mill. It is of its time. Uh, yeah, and you can absolutely. see the, the rivets are still there. And we actually have the documentation of it arriving in Enniskerry back in the 1900s. Wow. And it was made in, in Northern Ireland and it came from there. And uh, we were able to go back. That company is still uh, working, and uh, we got the uh, we had a receipt for it, and we've also got the drawings for uh, that style of of uh, turbine. Wow, that is a, a lot of research into the into a such a nice uh, piece in in the floor as well as of anything else. Yes, it's great yes. to have that provenance. Absolutely. So this building, I suppose, for anyone that hasn't been here yet, I find it quite amazing because as you go through the building, you arrive into this. Um, almost ancient building with a modern feel like the there's a lot of I was saying earlier the Wicklow granite there's uh, any of the handrails are in kind of a brass copper and make you feel like you're in the distillery and there's kind of a very nice juxtaposition of new and old you go through and I almost didn't even notice I walked into a purpose-built distillery on the far side of the curtain as it was yeah I mean we, we've a lot to thank our architect Martin Noonan for and uh, the vision that uh, our, our uh, early founders had in relation to the actual design of the whole thing because we did want to maintain and of course we had to maintain the uh, providence of the old building and and all of that but uh, to transition it from old into new in a in a smooth and organized way and then visitors would arrive in uh, to the AV room to watch a short video before then going into the distillery itself uh, but the distillery is purpose-built, brand new, quite a, a task to get everything done in, uh, in t on time. And we were very fortunate that that was uh, the way things worked out. We literally got planning permission in July, the usual notice of so many weeks to get started. And then we started production the following June. So from going from a relatively green area for the back of the mill house to get the distillery up and running was quite an achievement. That must be a record in Ireland <laughs> at this point. Yes, it probably, I don't know. I mean, I know that there is, it is a difficult thing to get these things across the line. And again, we're very grateful to the uh, people that we have been working with. They've been very professional and very, very quick to get things organised. And uh, we were talking off mic earlier on, four sites were employed to, I suppose, build the stills and uh, at least a good part of the distillery itself. Absolutely. I mean, when Powers Court, uh, the idea of building a distillery in Powers Court was, was developed by uh, Jerry and, and Ashley and uh, come to the estate and the estate says, yeah, OK, we'll, we'll, we'll rent you a building and you can, or a, a site, uh, go and get planning permission. So they did that. Uh, and then I guess kind of were looking for partnerships uh, to finance the uh, thing because it was suddenly going from what seemed to be a relatively simple operation, a couple of hundred thousand, maybe 500 or a million, whatever. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, this is a bit more than we anticipated. Uh, so Jerry and Ashley then teamed up with uh, Mike and Alex Pierce. And Mike and Alex had been involved in Isle of Arran Distillery in Scotland. From, from virtually the start in 1995 and they suddenly they realized and brought that kind of expertise as to what was involved in financing a project of this nature and we had to kind of uh, reevaluate what the plan was and so they went about um, reapplying for planning permission at that stage but the Pierce's uh, then had the experience of working with Forsyth in, in Isle of Arran 
and they had a good relationship with with uh, Richard and uh, they met him and said look we want to build this distillery it's on a similar size to uh, Isle of Arden uh, how much and struck a deal uh, and a shake of hands and then they decided well we need to get somebody to run this thing so the deal was done before I joined and uh, I had absolutely no issue at all with Forsyth. I'd worked with them in Cooley when I was distilling there. And uh, they're a very professional outfit. They're not cheap by any manner of means, but you get what you pay for the kind of the Rolls Royce of the distilling industry. And it was a turnkey operation. So that made my life very easy in a lot of ways because I wouldn't have to go into the... Um, difficulties of doing all of the chemical engineering side of it and saying well this pump has to be able to pump to that head and so volumes and all of that so they did all of that so we literally had to just guide them insofar as well we have to have it in that space and we have to do it in this direction and we have to do it in that what i did have uh, quite an influence on was the, the mash tun the uh, stills the design of that a little bit and a few other bits and pieces they had given us a window of time they had to be on site in January. We had gotten our planning permission in July and they arrived on the second week of January. And we started 2018. to... Yeah, yeah, 2018. And we started distilling in June 2018. Um, so that was a quick, quick turnaround when you consider all the kit and equipment that had to go in and commissioning and everything. So their hats off to them and they did what they said they would do and... Uh, it worked out very, very well. Absolutely, and by no means a small distillery. Um, it is a, a beautiful-looking uh, distillery, but also I'm sure to for on your side the operational purposes must be quite a quite a lovely operational side to it as well. Well, it's 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 nice to have a brand new uh, kit to work with and and uh, purpose designed, and uh, so things tend to work out much better when you do that. Uh, I mean, in Cooley, we, we had to retrofit a distillery into an existing building. It's it's not easy. And there's been quite a few of those being done at the moment in various places around Dublin, uh, even Slane, you know, some of the nice... And it's a very difficult thing to get right. But um, we're very fortunate and the plant is running extremely well. Uh, we were on one shift up until March of this year. Now we're on two shifts and the plan will be eventually to go to three shifts. So uh, working out on full capacity, full production, we'd hope to get up to about a million litres of alcohol a year. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, and when you're saying they're retrofitting a distillery into an old building, it is happening a lot throughout Ireland. Um, I know I saw one project that was quoted at, I think, uh, completion of an old building. Total project cost was like 50 million and retro securing the building was like 37 million of the 50. And the distillery was almost an afterthought at that point, um, <laughs> which is nice upstairs and um, walking such an old building. You didn't have to retrofit a distillery into that. That is very much the gateway to the distillery, which is, is quite nice in itself as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that does help to keep costs down, obviously. And that old building is an independent structure in its own right. Ours is tacked on, even if it is tacked on gracefully, and it is in keeping with the rest of the estate. Um, it, it, it meant that we didn't have any kit and equipment issues with the actual old building itself, and we were able to keep it as much as possible to its original uh, state. So it's tied in with the visitor center. We've just uh, used the space as um, rooms effectively and then the, the main function of the visitor center is in part of the new building and then the distillery is right beside that and i believe um we're going to be seeing the grand opening of the distillery very soon well we'll, we'll be opening to the public within the next couple of weeks and uh then the grand opening is yet to be fixed we ah, have okay. uh, we will have the we will have a, a, a uh, bells and whistles and, and uh, trumpets and God knows what else we can put in to make it uh, uh, quite a, a day and we're looking forward to doing that sometime perhaps during the summer this year. That would be absolutely fantastic. The the sun shining in the middle of Parish Park Gardens, sure there couldn't be a better place in Ireland to be holding a, a grand opening. Yeah, I mean it is a lovely place to be and you've got these beautiful tall trees all around the place and and uh, the setting is, is, is idyllic. Mm. 
So to, to jump from slightly from the production end to the, the hospitality end, you know, we're sitting in a, a, a grounds that has a visitors of somewhere around half a million visitors per year. I suppose two questions. What in terms of footfall do you guys project to be getting? And if you are a visitor here, what can people expect when they walk in? Well, we're kind of pride ourselves in, in Powers Court uh, that we would have everything up to a very high standard. Uh, I don't think we'd be able to cope with five hundred thousand visitors in the distillery, but we would not year one anyway. Maybe. Not year one anyway. <laughs> yes, we might have to do a few modifications here or there, but we have uh, a tours available and they can be booked online at our website. And we would be uh, facilitating groups from in around twelve to fifteen uh, at a time. And depending on the tour that is booked, you can have maybe a 15, 20 minute tour or maybe up to half an hour. So that's the kind of turnaround we're expecting. Um, we're budgeting for something like around 30,000 visitors a year kind of figure initially anyway and see how it goes from there. But uh, certainly in the last few weeks as visitors are arriving into the estate, there's a literary uh, queue of people going over and back across the windows every few minutes, you know, looking at the scene and what's in there and when are you opening and all the rest of it. So the quicker we open, the better. I think it's going to be a very interesting season. Yeah, as even as I approached the doors this afternoon, there were two people trying to get their glimpses in the window. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I suppose as I arrived as well, um, I believe Alex Pierce um, was actually showing around a group of uh, German tourists who just happened upon the distillery. Yes, I mean, that's one thing about Alex. He's very hospitable and a really nice guy to work with also. And he just can't uh, resist the opportunity to talk about the distillery because he's extremely proud of what we've achieved here, and as uh, we all are. I mean, when you, you do come into the distillery, you've got this lovely uh, foyer to enter into. We've got a lovely glass porch, and that's one of the reasons where it's only been finished this week, so we'll be open as soon as that's up and done. And then you have a look at this water wheel. There's an area for looking at uh, a bit of the history and, 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 and somewhere to have a walk around. And once you book a tour, then you will be directed up to the AV room where we show about a 10 minute video. It's not too long, it's just enough to give you a taste of what we have here. And from the AV room to the distillery, we've also very fortunate that we have our warehousing on site. So once you've uh, seen the process from milling, mashing, fermentation, right through uh, the three stages of distilling, and then onto the warehouse where we show people as well how we fill casks. You can get that beautiful aroma when you walk into a, a, a relatively full warehouse. We've already got oh, something like 1,700 casks maturing in there already so far. So and that's of new spirit. That's of new spirit only, yes, uh, since last June. And then come from there back in to do a tasting and we've uh, gone to a very high spec in the visitor center so the tasting rooms are, are, are quite luxurious you get the opportunity to taste the three brands we have out there at the minute from the for cullen range of uh, the blend the 10 year old and the 14 year old single malt and then uh, once the tasting is complete you can get the opportunity to go into the visitor center have a coffee uh, or whatever, there's an opportunity to spend money as there is in these places. Uh, and as I say, exit through the gift shop, of course. We're stocking everything <laughs> we can that's yes. going to, going to uh, uh, enhance people's visit to the place and give them something to remember it by. We've also got a full bar license uh, upstairs. We have a, a bar and function rooms as well, and we can do a bit of corporate entertaining. We've done that already. We do get some... Uh, business as well from the Powers Court Hotel because they would have a lot of corporate clients coming in so they book the room for a couple hours or whatever and uh, we do a little bit of catering. The cafe won't have uh, dinners or anything like that but certainly sandwiches and, 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 and soft uh, uh, food options like that. Yeah. So that's all we hope it's, it'll appeal to a lot of people. Absolutely. Um. And I suppose you, you touched on there the, the three uh, expressions you have already. You have mm -hmm. uh, your premium blend, 10-year-old uh, single grain and 14-year-old single malt. That's right. Um, I, I want to ask you one question about those because as far as I understand, you were the person that distilled those while not here but previously in Cooley. Um, 
And I suppose that must give you a, a funny, I don't know, a kind of a dual ownership of it in, in a way. Well, uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're fortunate in when the company was being set up that uh, we weren't looking uh, for stock to sell and uh, we were in a position to buy some grain malt uh, from uh, various sources I might add but it ultimately it was whiskey that I had uh, distilled in Cooley and um, that's why we were able to put my name on the bottle as the distiller. Uh, labelling legislation nowadays is, is, is getting more and more strict and all of these kind of things so you have to have providence and proof of what the, you're saying about the product. Um, and we were able to buy uh, quite a bit of stock as well, which means we'll have uh, ample product coming out over the next few years until we get our own distilled spirit here in Powerscourt. Well, that's always a great thing to know that there's a pipeline is, is in place. Um, and I, I was, we were talking again earlier off mic, um, you were saying that there's going to be a few more expressions perhaps coming down the line to kind of build out the, the current range. Well, we'd be hopeful that later this year we will have an 18-year-old and uh, we have another, uh, the CAS program, where we we're, we're, um, have people who are investing in, in in their own cask. We have a 16-year-old, which has uh, got a slight twist to it. Is uh, Also, it's bottled and will be given to the CAS members uh, and they'll be getting, I think, a, two bottles of that 16-year-old and uh, there will be a very, very, very limited amount of that p- available, p- possibly for sale, and the visitor centre uh, in the next few months. And it's uh, it's quite a, a nice. I'm very happy with the way it's turned out. I like it. You can you can add mystique. your notes later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Slight, <laughs> slight I'm not them. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course. And uh, any indication of what what a uh, cast regiment we might see in the eighteen that's coming out. Um, we haven't finally decided yet. I mean, we had uh, the stock that we bought is dating back from 2000 right up to 2005 vintages of malt. And some of that we've put into various casks. And if you uh, look up there to the right, you can see some of those. We have uh, absolutely great. We have Petro Jimenez, we have Oloroso, we have Muscadet, port, we have Port, there, yeah. Rum, uh, yeah. Rum as well. There's even a few wine casks as well, which we've filled a few barrels of. And it'll be closer to bottling. We'll decide exactly what we're going to mix and match and put in. We might put in a piece of it, we might put in all of it, and we might just take bits and pieces. It's about uh, one of the arts of blending is what I've learned over my few years and at it is that uh, to get the best out of the stock that you have, that's the art of a good blender. So uh, I'm trying to make sure when you do mix different flavors that you don't hide one over the other, that you get them balanced. And um, so we'll be playing around with that over the next couple of months till we decide exactly what's going to be on that 18 year old. And then, of course, there's always the opportunity to bring out those as single cask finishes as well. So it's exciting times ahead. Absolutely, a lot of scope. Yes, yeah, and uh, we 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 uh, are looking forward to the challenge. Good, and I suppose um, in terms of the actual business itself, um, are would people expect to see them abroad? Have you been exporting to many countries? Is it Irish only for the moment and then building from there? Yeah, well, we just launched the product just before Christmas. We're negotiating at various uh, distribution deals here, there and everywhere. Nothing has been finalized as of yet. It's uh, available on our site online. It's also available in Ireland through Mitchell's group, uh, the Celtic Whiskey Shop also, and a few uh, of the best as they say, with the old uh, books, uh, it's the same here. Some of the better off licenses will be stocking us in some of the really best bars in the country. Very good. And I suppose um, the Furcullen name, um, you know, we're saying uh, perhaps people would have expected the first release to be called Power Squirt as per the grounds, but where, I suppose, tell us about the name Furcullen. Furcullen is, uh, well, it's an Englishized version of the Irish Furcullan which was the name to the lands really between Tala and the Wicklow Mountains. And it was in relation to the, the 
the men of the Wicklow Hills. And if you were to Google for Cullen, the first thing that'll come up is Power Scout Estate. Uh, it is the old name for the estate grounds, um, which have the estate wouldn't be quite as big as the area for Cullen, but that's that's where Cullen comes from. It would have been synonymous. Yeah. And obviously, when we're coming to branding a uh, product and all the rest of it, we would have a, a slight issue with another product uh, with a similar name in the Irish whiskey scene of Powers. So uh, it wouldn't be possible to brand another whiskey with that name in it. It's just not going to work. And so while we are uh, able to sell on the estate the Powers Court label, it wouldn't be a brand we'd be able to uh, have abroad or in the general release. It's, but there will be a Powers Court whiskey and it will be of the spirit made here in time and it will be only available uh, uh, on the estate the oh. foreseeable future anyway. Fair enough. I mean, quite a quite a diligent response to <laughs> to. Yeah, well, we do we do still have quite a lot of um, Powers Court branding on the bottle, but the actual brand itself, we were we're not. Uh, it wouldn't be fair to put Powers Court and try and steal some of their thunder, as it were. But uh, of course, yeah. We'll see uh, how that goes. And, and you say a lot of branding on the bottle, beautifully bespoke bottles as well. Um, you know, delicate, delicate uh, sugar loaf. Uh, embossing on the front and the, and the great Paris Court distillery on the back was something we were admiring there earlier. Yeah, the the, the, the the logo and all that kind of thing, you know, a lot of thought goes into these things. I'm not the marketing guru of the company, as I say, I'm the, I'm the production guy, but uh, the Sugarloaf motif, as it were, the, the line, is, uh, I always think it's going to be a bit like the night line, you know, everybody sometimes will recognise it as, oh, that's the Paris Court distillery because it's the Sugarloaf, the outline of the Sugarloaf and then uh, and the rest of the thing is related to the estate as well because when you enter Powers Court Estate under the Great Arch coming in the main entrance there's a, an eagle on top of that so we've put an eagle on the on the uh, logo and around that then and part of that we have a lot of uh, uh, a filigree of uh, relating to the kind of ironwork that is, you know, some of the fame gates that are around the estate are just magnificent and beautiful. And that is to represent that as well as other bits and pieces within the the, 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 the logo. And um, so it's, it's all very fitting. It all ties together so beautifully. <laughs> so I suppose... Um, Tell us what is the the I suppose the production plan. What are what are you going to be making here uh, going forwards, and what are you making? I suppose at the moment. Currently, well, we are producing a single malt whiskey uh, spirit at the moment, obviously, and um, we have uh, we're doing a little bit of double distilled malt. That's what we're actually currently doing. Uh, we will be doing some pot still malt, uh, some pot still whiskey in about the next two months or so probably and uh, we'll, other options are then to maybe do a grain whiskey of cells but it wouldn't be your typical uh, standard kind of uh, grain uh, it's not the big volume grain it would be grain because of the mash bill as opposed to because the, there's limits on the amount of barley and malt combinations but you could reduce the malt and get into what we call a grain whiskey so and also we might tick around with rye uh, and other other cereals as we go along just to see how that works we did we did a little bit of rye when we were in Cooley and it's turned out very very well and um, also there's always the outside chance that I might get back into doing a bit of peated whiskey you say with a smirk on your face <laughs> <laughs> Well, there isn't any immediate plan to do that, but it is uh, it, it 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 may be something we'll do in the future. Who knows? And at the moment, uh, your warehouses are filling up with lovely smells. We've got bourbons, some sherry, some other casks going on in there as well. We have Amarone, we have some uh, nice Bordeaux wine casks as well, which we were able to source last year. Uh, they're currently in the warehouse here in Powerscourt, but as I said earlier, we have some mature stock finishing in in little bit of everything. As yes, well. yeah, because you know you have to experiment with these things to see what suits the spirit we're making, and depending on how that goes, you can uh, concentrate on one tool or whatever, or come up with a combination even that works. 
and you know if it'd be so bold could could you tell us could you describe the spirit you are making at the moment what what are your thoughts on it to put um, you on the spot a little bit not at all <laughs> no i mean i uh, i guess where i'm coming from is uh, over the years i've 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 learned a lot about um distilling and and blending in, and uh what will make a good spirit um and uh, also, my background was in quality control management. I have a master's in, in uh, total quality management. And one of the key things about quality is consistency and also to try and uh, remove the variances that causes issues. So you really need to start with uh, good raw materials. Uh, there's an old saying, everybody knows that you can't make a silk purse out of a pig's ear. So, you know, if you, you, you if you don't have good wood, you don't have good spirit, and you don't have good conditions in which you're operating, you're going to end up with issues. There's no dear doubt about it. And, of course, you need good staff and good people working with you. And to have good people, you have to treat them well, and they have to be happy people. And I'm a firm believer in that. There's no such thing as having, uh, you know, uh, treating your people badly or whatever i don't mean we do that or anything like it but you know that doesn't work anymore in this 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 day and age and as i said we get the best raw materials we can get we have the best water we have arguably the best climate in the world for maturation of whiskey it's not too hot i mean um some of the issues that you might have well it's not issues but uh, we we say that Irish whiskey is smooth and, and smooth for a reason. Uh, we have a moderate climate. It's um, not as hot as the Americas, where the likes of bourbon is matured in fresh wood and it can be very full of tannins and 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 uh, it has this particular style. Our style isn't like that. You have Scotch, uh, which arguably, well, it's about six or seven hundred miles north of here. And even this week in Scotland, they have snow and we wouldn't have that level of cold weather here. And a lot of the reactions that go on in, in maturation, uh, they don't happen if the temperature drops below six degrees. I'm not saying it goes below six in the warehouses in Scotland, but because it's cooler for longer, they don't get the same maturation as we do in Ireland. And one time I remember when I was uh, conducting a tasting in in. Uh, a good few years ago and I had a very reputable whiskey man from Scotland over tasting and I had a single malt on the table and he was tasting it and he says oh that reminds me of a whiskey at an age of eight year old and mine was only four so we must be doing something right here and I don't know if it's the whiskey spirit we produce or whether it's just the climate because I think you probably get an extra two to three months maturation in Ireland uh, and certainly south of Ireland than you would uh, in Scotland. Well, here we are sitting in the sunny southeast. So. Absolutely, and <laughs> it's an ideal. I mean, even it's funny, like uh, Powerscourt and Wicklow tend to have a little microclimate of their own, um, probably because of the Wicklow Mountains uh, and uh, and the Irish Sea. But you know, it is conducive to making good whiskey. And I suppose going a little bit more into your expertise for the people out there in you know podcast land that don't know you can you give us a little background into i suppose why you ended up with the title of master distiller uh, and you've alluded to cooley a couple of times but i thought might be a, a good opportunity to i suppose inform those out there that aren't familiar with your handiwork hmm how long have you got <laughs> <laughs> it's the power of editing don't worry. yeah um well when I, um, after secondary school, I wanted to get into science in some way or other, I was particularly why I was interested in computing, but unfortunately didn't have the wits or the results to get into, into, into university. So I ended up doing a science degree, not a science, sorry, a science um, background in uh, Sligo RTC. And I did uh, basically a laboratory technician's course at the National Certificate in Applied Chemistry is what I ended up with out of that. I then went to work and I'd spent a couple of summers in a dairy in making powdered milk in Balhadreen, where I'm from. And after I graduated from the RTC, I went to start in a company called Chemiki Chorantha, 
Mechanically charmed, there was uh, a, an old uh, state-owned company that was set up in the 1900s to make alcohol from potatoes. And that ha- they, they started uh, that in around about the 1935 to 1938. And they built five distilleries in Ireland to make alcohol from potatoes. For To what end? Well, the problem was that uh, at the beginning of that, time there was a Ireland was supplying a lot of uh, potatoes to the UK and there was a a bit like the blight it was a, an infection that came along and caused what they call black scab on the potato and the potatoes weren't usable uh, for food well they were usable for food but they weren't presentable and the market had kind of died and the state decided that they needed to get this stuff off the market and keep the farm you know we're an agricultural country in ireland and very much so at that time and this was a big big source of income to the local communities all over ireland so they decided to to make alcohol out of the uh, potatoes to give uh, an income to the farmers and so they placed these distilleries one in uh, two in Donegal, one in Carndonna, one in Labadish near Letterkenny, one in Ballina, uh, one in Carrickmacross, and another one in uh, Cooley. And I joined making, uh, uh, over time, this company diversified from making um, spirit for, the spirit that they were producing was to go into the petrol um, as a, a fuel. Uh, but they diversified into making starch from potatoes and that plant was in Donegal. Then they started making glucose syrup from it in Ballina and the other two plants started to make spirit with molasses. But I ended up in Ballina for about six months making glucose syrup. I was working in the lab and then I got transferred to to Donegal and I was setting up a lab to monitor the spirit production now at that time when i joined in 1978 they were making uh, a couple of styles they were making uh, absolute alcohol which was going into methylated spirits as well so they were supplying a lot of the chemical industry in ireland as, and it was a small industry but they were also started to make uh, neutral spirits and the neutral spirits was going into gilby's in dublin for smyrna vodka and round about early 1980s they developed Gilby's developed uh, Bailey's and the demand for the neutral spirit went through the roof so we expanded made more neutral spirit I was started as a lab technician ended up as a production supervisor and then ended up as quality manager over nine years in that business so by the time the company was shut down a I was the quality manager and focus at the time was on the neutral spirit and uh, it was very important that the spirit was clean uh, for vodka production really but it had gone into other things into medical use and all the rest of it so when it closed I then ended up working for a company in Galway making food flavors and pharmaceutical intermediaries we most of what we did was food flavors uh, it was a chemical plant uh, still going it eventually set up in uh, athlone called iron chemicals and then uh, i was with them for about two and a half years three years and in that time john teeling bought the old distillery in in dundalk where i had been working so over a period of time and he had got production back going and they had somebody working in the lab as well and uh, that person I had trained on some of the techniques in analysis for the spirits and then she left and it was an opportunity I guess and I uh, then joined I think it was the 26th of June 1989. That's nice and specific there. (laughs) Yeah as quality manager and at that time we had a, a distiller a, a gentleman called alan jappy from scotland and uh, cooley's history is, is is well documented but we weren't exactly friends with irish distillers and there uh, wasn't an awful lot of knowledge about as to how irish distillers did anything and they weren't going to tell a new distillery and uh, but anyway so we ended up with uh, alan 
Uh, Alan left a couple of years later and we had another distiller, Gordon Mitchell, who came from Scotland also. And um, Gordon stayed with us until 1995 and he left in 1995. There was a little bit of a takeover bid by Irish distillers and they wanted to shut the place down. So Cooley had run into financial problems, couldn't afford to make all the whiskey they wanted to. And Gordon decided he was leaving and we started. We hadn't distilled for about two years at that stage of any quantity and he went to join Isle of Ireland Distillery Startup. So when he had left, it was just myself and the general manager, David Haynes, left in control of production. Uh, and then we got into the business of... Now, during that time, I was picking up the tricks of the trade on distilling and all the rest of it and blending. We had a very, very good... Uh, consultant we were we got a lot of our expertise from scotland because again there was very little in ireland so we had a, a guy called billy walker who was our uh, go-to uh, man on blending and general stuff and billy and i are good friends for many years he's uh, since he used to work with burner stewart and then ben rarick and now he's on his own again it's glen alecky these days yes yeah, and, uh, quite quite a great character man. I didn't realize the the connection with Cooley there. It's quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, Billy was our our, our he was on uh, retainer for a while, and Billy used to come over and we we'd set up the samples of tastings every six months or so of production and and stock from the warehouse. And uh, I mean, I knew a fair bit about how to make neutral spirit clean, brilliant, and grain whiskey has a lot to do with that, and and uh, and I so. I picked up the tasting of, of spirits fairly quickly and um, Billy used to come. I used to set up all the samples and I had control of the stock and, and I actually did a degree in IT while I was doing all of that and uh, I set up a database to manage the stocks. But uh, anyway, eventually Billy says to David one day, he says, oh, you don't need me anymore, Noel's okay, he knows what he's doing Just and if there is Anthony, you can always contact me. So uh, that's how I started into the blending of things as well after 95 Cooley started to produce whiskies for the supermarkets they are quite a, a, a challenge to because they're very sp particular about what they do but uh, we got through that and then we started to win awards here there and everywhere for some of the products that we produced and um, by 2008 we picked up four Distiller of the Year awards from different places, from the International Wine and Spirits Competition, Malt Advocate, and some crowd called, uh, what was it? Oh, <sighs> Whiskey Maniacs, yes, that's a name. Uh, uh, and then we, you know, we went, we, we did very, very well with the products that we brought out, and we're very fortunate. So that's more my background in whiskey. As I say, in 2011, then Cooley got taken over by uh, Jim Beam. And then 2013, Jim Beam got taken over by Suntory. Uh, Jim Beam, while I was with them, uh, right up until I left in 2016, uh, learned an awful lot about... Um, they were very much into efficiencies, uh, cost reduction, uh, getting everything right on that front, uh, investing in good equipment. I mean, one of the issues we had in Cooley was we never had a lot, a big budget to spend a lot of money on, on brand new stuff. So we were on some bits and pieces were had gone past their best, but uh, we managed to make good whiskey. And um, then Suntory came along and their focus kind of shifted then from, from uh, the big volume, uh, the more of a, real keen sense of what quality is all about and uh, in that time we had gone from uh, a company i had about 200 skus maybe 50 different blend types that we were supplying to various companies all over the world from uh, russia to the other end of australia and and uh, america uh, with one label product from standard kind of blends right up to uh, very specialized expressions but uh, beam and brought that back to about four core products and uh, they were they were kind of focusing on on the main trying to get the blend business up and running big time and 
well, we had been selling four hundred thousand cases of whiskey. It, or uh, we had drastically reduced the number of products we were producing with Beam, and uh, uh, and that's where, as well, I suppose they uh, had to come along and 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 they started to sell off surplus inventories and what they didn't want. They didn't want to get into some of the more various aged whiskies and products. Uh, and that's how we had the opportunity to buy the whiskey we did. Very fortuitous. When I left. Mm. <laughs> yes, uh, and it's just the way things happened, you know. I mean, I got an opportunity, Irish whiskey, kind of, once once being bought Cooley, uh, a lot of people sat up and said, oh, this is a business that could be worth getting into. And as a result, there's been a plethora of new distilleries setting up all over the place. And I suppose it's only a matter of time that I ended up in one of them. I think, I suppose I'd be interested in your take. Um, I often think that the, you know, Cooley was supplying so many places, so many people, so many different, you know, brands. And when I suppose, I think, you know, Jim Beam kind of turned that tap off, uh, almost if it wasn't for that, I don't know if we'd have so many distilleries in Ireland, you know, the supply kind of stopped almost overnight that maybe pushed people who would have been happy in not happy in brands but there was a safety in in being brand owners into the the world of distilleries more so to secure their own stocks well uh, i i i wouldn't see it the same way exactly i think uh, a lot of the product that Cooley supplied to a lot of customers they very few of them actually went and, and set up distilleries. Slane will be one of them, but Beam's purchase did on the Irish whiskey scene was it, it highlighted it as a category for for people and it also says that you could make a living at it. Uh, and of course the success of Irish distillers also uh, was, was, you know, I mean, the Irish whiskey sales were growing in double digit figures since about nineteen late nineteen nineties and was continuing to boom and still is thank God, uh, and that dri- driven by Irish distillers and Perno, but they were focusing again on the single brand of Jemison and to their, they, they, that was why Cooley got such a, a an opening. They they brought out a whole new range of single malts. They brought out single grain. They brought peated malt onto the table, and all of a sudden there was choices which they didn't really expect at the time. And then Irish distillers have since uh, uh, brought out a lot more new expressions uh, to compete in that market, whereas before that was an open market for Cooley. So a lot of people saw that opportunity in Irish whiskey as well, because nobody wanted it to be a single brand uh, game. Uh, you know, it's a bit like dark stout and the world is Guinness and that's it. Uh, nobody wanted Irish whiskey to be just Jemison. And I think that's very healthy uh, marketing for the rest of us, you know. Mm. So uh, a lot of the new distilleries were people that had a passion for something uh, different than just the same old, same old, you know. Yeah. And so you have the likes of Boan who came up, uh, come along, you know, they, they had no... Cooley hadn't been supplying them. Uh, there was a load, West Cork. Uh, you, know, you can name several more distilleries that popped up out of nowhere that didn't actually, weren't customers prior to that. But of course, some of them were. Eklenville was one as well, that they were being supplied by Cooley, and then the tap got turned off, but they had already started distilling when uh, Beam took over. So, yeah, it's all up in the air there, you know, you could... Mm-hmm take any angle on it <laughs> i suppose so i suppose kind of finish off a little bit if you were going to you know theorize to what you think you know irish whiskey what, what are we going to see or perhaps what would you like to see in the industry going forward now having seen different you know different aspects of the industry over the last number of years well i think that the most important thing that's happened in whiskey in general is the we're, we're tending to go down the premiumization route so if you were to look at a, a con- compared to other industries like uh, the beer business, I used to always say, if you're in the uh, populous side of the industry, you're producing the kind of Budweiser's of this world or, or Coors or Miller or something like that. Very uh, drinkable, 
tend to be slightly sweet flavored uh, and and uh, easy to drink uh, similarly in in whiskey business you have to let and I, if you go up the other extreme of that and one of the successes is uh, Guinness for example I say you go from Miller to Guinness and then you have all of those IPAs in between and, and some of them now I think would even be uh, more complex than Guinness you're looking at a spectrum of flavors and styles of beers uh, similarly with whiskey you can have the blends at one end and you go on up to the more expensive and exotic malts and aged whiskies so I think there's definitely a space to play around in that end and that's where the market uh, will go because I mean as a distiller in Powerscourt I have absolutely no interest at the minute in competing against the likes of Jemison. I mean, how can you in the volumes that they do and the economies of scale? It's a it's a fight to the bottom on price if you get in there, and there are businesses that can do that, and Beam would be one of them because they have the resources to do it. Similarly, Grants with Tullamore Dew would be in that game of uh, the blended whiskey, the easy to drink, uh, and again Irish whiskey at that level is very approachable very easy to drink it's a great entry into the whiskey category but i think that similar to scotland uh, the single malt is more premiumization of it uh, and the variations that you can get there because it's you can be more precise about what you're doing you can have a different flavor profile you're a bit more flexible you don't have the constraints of massive big uh, uh, you know i mean as i say you can the likes of Jemison is a plant that can produce a hundred million widgets a minute. That's not the game we're in. In where I am, uh, we're looking at more uh, pushing the boundaries on flavor and taste, and uh, not having a, the. It's a bit like Henry Ford. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You get the, the. You know, if you you can have any kind of fucking car you want as long as it's black. black. <laughs> <laughs> you can have any whiskey you want as long as it's Jemison. In Irish, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. So we're now looking at the the Rolls Royces and the the Daimlers or whatever you want to call. Exactly. Well, no that's where I want to play. <laughs> exactly, and it's a good place to play. I look forward to sampling some of your. Uh, future distilled expressions here in Paris Court. And I'll say at this point, I suppose to everyone at home, thank you very much for listening. As always, if there are people in the world you think would love to hear about what's going on in the world of Irish whiskey, do feel free to share this podcast. Click subscribe, whether you're on Android or Apple. If you're listening online, thank you to everybody. You can always find us on social media at potstilled underscore for both Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash potstilled. Or always, you can just go straight direct to the source, potstill.com. No, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and I appreciate it, especially today. Uh, no one will know this, we're recording. But you've come in on a bank holiday Monday to say uh, to sit down with me. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>